With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Statistics say that they are three times more likely to commit suicide in the middle of their lives. Forties. Three times more likely to get right about the age of the men in this room and quit. When I was pastoring in West Virginia, one of my sons there, sons in the gospel, came home and opened up the door to his house. He and his father stayed together. He's a grown man. He and his father stayed together. He walked in the house. It smelled funny. He flicked the light on. There was red stuff all over the wall. It was blood. It had hunks of stuff in it. it. Was brain. His father had stuck a pistol in his mouth and blown his brains out. And his son found his father dead. And I never will forget because I was maybe about your age when I preached that funeral. And I never will forget how that man screamed in that funeral. They couldn't even open up the casket. And I was too young to understand that he wasn't just screaming for the death of his father. His father pulled the trigger but it blew the son's brains out too. Because what you do to yourself does affect everybody who loves you. How could he quit with me loving him? Did he know that I cared about him? And though my father didn't kill himself, I did relate to it as I preached the funeral and bit my lip trying not to scream. Because when anything like that happens to you, you say, don't die yet. Tell me who I am. Lay your hands on me and tell me who I am. I need you to stay here. Tell me, did you love mama? How did y'all stay together? Were you happy? Hey daddy, did you ever cheat on mama? If so, why? Daddy, were you happy? And if you weren't happy, how did you get the strength to get out of bed in the morning? 
See, I used to think that a boy needs his father. But a man does too. <laughs> Emotions, she motions, he motions. Bishop, help me. What's wrong? He doesn't tell me how I feel. I understand. He doesn't talk to me anymore. He doesn't talk to you. And I'm tired. I just don't know what to do. Okay, okay, look, I feel you. Kurt. What? I need to hear your side. Well, Pastor, I don't really think you want to hear my side. Why? Because because I'm a man. Welcome to Patricia Adams Live. Thank you so much for joining in today. I want to tell you that this is absolutely just phenomenal. And when I say phenomenal, because the time that um, I've been before the Lord preparing for this broadcast, preparing for this, and hearing Him speak to my heart and the formatting and everything, I want just Say thank you to those of you who are in the chat room, those of you who have joined us by phone. I want to thank those who are on their way into the broadcast and those who will listen to the broadcast afterwards. Thank you for tuning in to Patricia Adams live on the Blog Talk radio platform. And also, um, we are going to be celebrating Father's Day this weekend, and I want to tell all the men out there has been an integral part of their children's lives. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to the mothers who have the privilege of having fathers in their lives and in their children's lives. Um, I want to tell you how very happy I am for you, how very proud I am to know that your children are being provided for, that your children are being um, validated by a man strong in their lives, and for those of you who have uh, personally had your fathers and your mothers, whether they're still alive or not alive, I still want to congratulate you as well, because that is a phenomenon. It is a phenomenon uh, in the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ. Um, this is not a race 
things, and though it seems like it's really an epidemic in the black community, um, every culture, red, yellow, black, white, brown, um, are suffering from the lack of fathers being present in their children's lives. And perhaps, like I said, there is a larger proportion of that in the black community. But I don't want to play the race card because this isn't about about the father's heart hurting over the lack of fathers for children. Now, there's a huge difference between impregnating someone and there's a huge difference between staying there to make sure that what you have planted inside of that woman comes up and is provided for in nurtured and sheltered and protected isn't uh, valid, isn't violated, but validated. It's a huge responsibility that um, most times we find that men run from, or we find sometimes that women run the men from it. Um, they prefer just to have the check. Basically, don't really want the man in the life, but uh, give me the check. Make sure that check is in my, my bank account. Make sure it's in the mail, whatever. Whatever you have to do, you make sure, and, and if you don't do it, then, well, you know, prepare to spend some time in jail for not doing it. So this is a vicious cycle that we're in. But we can't ignore the epidemic, the phenomenon. We can't ignore because the Word of God says that he is going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. And I believe the Word of God is true. I believe the Word of God is real. I believe the Word of God is the final authority. We may not be seeing it now, but it shall come to pass. It shall happen. And as a servant of the Lord who's been given an opportunity to share um, what he has put in my heart on this platform, I take it an honor to be able to share in any form, whether it's the sowing of seed, um, into someone's life, whether it's watering a seed that's already been sown in someone else's life in anticipation that God is going to get an increase. Whatever my role is in this, that God says that he is going to, that he is going to turn the heart of the fathers back to their children, I count it an honor and privilege to be a part of it. So, again, with that said, I'm going to welcome you to today's broadcast. And I want to start out by um, reading um, some things that I've prepared for the broadcast. And when I posted this up, and I didn't do it on this platform, but I took a picture of uh, a graphic, rather, of I believe it's Darth Vader, um, with Darth Vader saying, Luke, I'm your father, and I posted it on Facebook. And I'm not really or wasn't really a huge Star Wars fan, but when God was telling me to use that graphic, I thought, okay, you know, I'll use it. And how many men, especially like the, the artists, um, that we just finished playing this, that excerpt, basically it's a mix 
of the cuts from Emotions by Richard T.D. Jakes and um, the artist Kirk Franklin as well was a part of that, he and his wife. And so basically, um, I remember the story that she shared about how his mother had given him up. His birth mother had given him up. And it wasn't until he was doing a concert, I believe, in Houston, that a man showed up backstage saying that he was her father. Um, and basically telling her, you know, he was sorry because he didn't know. Basically, supposedly, her mother did not share that information with him that um, she had been impregnated. So her basically um, had the opportunity of meeting his birth father. I mean, if that's um, how the story goes. So how many situations like that? Um, are similar to Luke Skywalker um, and, and Darth Vader and him saying, you know, Luke, you know, um, I'm your father. So here you here, here you are and you find um, men who go on to attain or obtain a certain measure of success in life and suddenly the father appears. And maybe this man hasn't been a part of that young man's life all of his life, but he knows who his seed is, and so when his seed um, attains a certain level, then um, that man comes forward to claim accolades for having been a part of that person arriving here. And, you know, so I, I'm not going to pick an issue or pick a fight there, one way or the other, whether this is right or whether this is wrong. You know, um, I won't put my personal opinion into it because this isn't about me. This isn't about um, what I believe or what I think about that, but it is about the upbuilding of the kingdom. But in the course of all of this is that we have the dynamics of the man, we have the dynamics of the woman, we have the dynamics of the offspring. And this is a cycle, pattern that repeats itself, sometimes generationally, where the father isn't present in the home. Uh, we can kind of point some of that back to when the Welfare Department Human Services got involved and began to issue out checks to women, uh, basically, if they were struggling to take care of their children. And if there was a man present in the home, those benefits were withheld. So basically, uh, men were disappearing from the home so that the women could get the checks. Well, you know, they couldn't come home when this originally started out because um, the role um, call was being done, and occasionally the Department of Human Services would come by and make spot checks and spot calls to make sure that there wasn't some man up in the house. And they were basically paying you and, you know, to be able to support the child, but the reality were supporting the man. So this, this has history to it, but at the same time, um, it, it can be tied into those of us who were a part of slavery, where um, the father and the mother and the child were separated as chattel, as property, um, you can tie it back to that. Some of these things are um, historical, if you would, because if you think about the different societies of Africans who came to America via slave ships, some of them, um, it was okay that their children weren't with them. So, I mean, there's, there's a whole big picture here. To be, to, to be dissected and to be looked at. And so this is not a bashing man show or a bashing father or absent father show. 
this is just putting it out there because we want to open this up. We want to open up this topic so that we can get into the root of it so that somewhere along the line we can perhaps break the cycle in some woman's life, in some man's life, in some child's life as we move forward. So um, I want to read some statistics that I found about Mother's Day. Now, Mother's Day just recently passed in May, and it is a major billion-dollar day, basically. And I'm looking at a chart that has basically been split in 11 pieces. So there are 11 pieces of the pie based on a 2006 research study. And it is saying that for clothing for Mother's Day, or clothing accessories, $1.27 billion was spent. Um, for books, $536 million. For greeting cards, $682 million. For gift certificates, $1.26 billion. For consumer electronics or computer-related accessories, $563 million. Housewares or gardening to $469 million. Personal service such as a day at a spa, a facial, or a massage, $928 million. For out, uh, outings like dinner or brunch, $2.63 billion. And for the um, category, there's another category that's like a two-point something that I can't clearly identify. But that's billions and billions of dollars that are being spent on mothers, for Mother's Day. But the same type of spending is not done for men on Father's Day. Um, so men are accustomed to getting shirts and ties and, and shoes or things of that nature or clothing. Um, there's, there's really negligent buying when it comes down to um, doing that kind of giving to the fathers in the house. And the fathers who are present tend to seem to accept it as this being so. And that's how it is. But why is that? Because the role of the father, according to the Word of God, is the uh, integral part because the life blood that flows into a child comes from the father. The child's blood type is determined by the father's blood type. So much of the genetic code of that child is placed in the DNA of the father. The sex of that child is coming from the father. So the mother um, carries the child, carries the seed, but the father, the father gets displaced in this picture. And it's difficult for those of us who, and I put myself in that, who did not grow up with strong uh, father leadership or mother leadership or whatever, to take that now and turn to God as Father, to comprehend God as Father. That has taken a journey in my life to get to the point where I can acknowledge and, and, and accept him as Father in my life and to teach other people about accepting him as Father. But we have this dysfunction that keeps us from responding to the Father biblically as he would desire for us to be um, responding to him. So 
we got to get out of all of this. We've got to move past all of this. So, again, um, as I was researching this and more, I found that um, when people were talking about life without a father, they talk about the increase of crime. Uh, in 2000, there was basically uh, an article that was written, and it says that growing up without a father may be a root cause of many social ills, from crime to academic failure. The decline of fatherhood is one of the most basic, unexpected, and extraordinary trends of our time. Its dimensions can be captured in a single statistic. In just three decades, between 1960 and 1990, the percentage of children living apart from their biological fathers more than doubled, from 17% in 1960 to 36% in 1990. By the turn of the century, nearly 50% of American children were possibly going to sleep each evening without being able to say goodnight to their dad. So no one predicted this trend. Two researchers or government agencies have even monitored it, and this was in 2000, and it's not widely discussed even today. That's in 2000. This is 2010, and it's still not widely discussed. But the decline of fatherhood is a major force behind many of the most disturbing problems that plague American society, crime, premature sexuality and out-of-wedlock growth for teenagers, deteriorating educational achievement, depression, substance abuse and alienation among adolescents, and a growing number of women and children in poverty. And then it goes on and says, even as this calamity unfolds, our cultural view of fatherhood is self-esteem. Few people doubt the fundamental importance of mothers for fathers. More and more, the question of whether fathers are really necessary is being raised. Many would answer no or maybe not. And to the degree that fathers are still thought necessary, fatherhood is said by many to be merely a social role that others can play. Example, mothers, partners, stepfathers, uncles and aunts, grandparents. And perhaps the script can even be rewritten and the role changed or completely dropped. This is in 2000. So there was a time in the past when fatherlessness was far more common than it is today, but death was to blame, not divorce, desertion, and out-of-wedlock birth. Almost all of today's fatherless children have fathers who are alive, well, and perfectly capable of shouldering the responsibility to fatherhood. Who would ever have thought that so many men would choose to relinquish them? Not so long ago, the change in the cause of fatherlessness was dismissed as irrelevant in many quarters, including among social scientists. Children, it was said, are merely losing their parents in a different way than they used to. You don't hear very much about that. A surprising finding of recent social science research is that it is decidedly worse for a child to lose a father in the modern world voluntarily way than through death. Children of divorce and never married mothers are less successful in life, they say, by almost every measure than the children of widowed mothers. The replacement of death by divorce as the prime cause of fatherlessness then is a monumental setback in the history of childhood. So now we go on and we're looking at what's happened to the children. 50% of the children that were born during 1970. In 1984, the baby bus, 1970, 1984, 14-year period, 
will still live with their natural parents by age 17, and then that will drop from nearly 80%. So it goes on and says, now the picture continues to grow worse. Divorce has overtaken death. Divorce has overtaken death as the leading cause of fatherlessness out of wedlock births are expected to surpass divorce later in the 1990s, and this was in 2000, and that has happened. So across time, and culture, fathers have been considered essential and not just for their sons. Marriage and the nuclear family, mother, father, and children are the most universal social institutions in existence. But here we are now with all of this going on, and men are not biologically as attuned to being committed fathers as women are to being committed mothers. Women who can bear only a limited number of children have a great incentive to invest their energy in rearing children, while men who can father many offspring do not. So left culturally unregulated, men's sexual behavior can be promiscuous, their paternity casual, their commitment to families weak. And we go on, and it says that the collapse of children's well-being in the United States had, had reached breathtaking proportions in, in 2000. Juvenile violent crime had increased sixfold from 16,000 arrests in 1960 to 96,000 in 1992. From 16,000 arrests in the 1960s to 96,000 in 1992. Eating disorders and rates of depression soared amongst the adolescent girls. So we have an epidemic. We have a problem. We have a problem here. So we've got 60% of America's racists according to this crime study, came from fatherless homes. 72% of adolescent murderers grew up without a father. 70% of long-term prison inmates are fatherless. That has, this is like in 2000, that has grown tremendously uh, since in 2010. So this source is like Life Without Father by David Popeno. And this is, it's a staggering this, this is absolutely staggering. So what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? This is something that is manifesting itself in the natural. But before anything can manifest in the natural, it has to be evident in the spirit. So everything that you see in the natural first happens in the spirit. I'm going to say that again. Everything that you see that happens in the natural first happens in the spirit. It has to be birthed in the spirit in order to manifest in the natural. So spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking, we are fatherless in the spirit. Um, membership, church membership has taken on a new spin, a new edge split. Um, we have um, smaller churches where pastors are just there to basically get their bills paid. I'm not saying I said we have some, so I didn't say all. We have larger churches where that same thing is going on. So you are now a number, and, and maybe somebody doesn't really know your name or somebody really doesn't care to know your name. So there is a huge shift in the way that um, the body of Christ used to be. So you, you, know, you had X amount of members at your church, and the pastor pretty much knew who you were. Um, and who your family members were. So when they had to, you know, do births or weddings or um, 
funerals. It was it was common for the pastor to have known you and known who they were eulogizing, who they were marrying, who they were christening, um, who they were baptizing. And but now, spiritually speaking, we are ichibod, ichibod, I C H A C O D means that a huge number of the people in the body of Christ are without spiritual fathers, without spiritual authority. And it has manifested itself in the political scene, it has manifested itself in the educational scene, and in the domestic scene. And it is becoming an international epidemic. It's no longer a United States problem. Basically, around the world, this is becoming a problem. So now, what are we going to do about that? In order to undo what we see in the natural, we have to go where? Where it first started, the source in the spirit. So we have to go back. And he says that we have left our first love and that we have forgotten our father. We have forgotten who our father is. And our father is God. And it's so important that even when you are bringing up your children in the natural that you say, you know, you have a mommy, you have a daddy, but God is our father. And ultimately, if mother and father should forsake you, know that God will never leave you on the table. Because he is your father. We have to teach fatherhood from a spiritual standpoint in order to get it to manifest in the natural. We have to go back to the landmark. We have to go back to where we walk the baton, if you would, in the spirit. And we have to push forward. So we have to dig up that place um, where it's all started. So did it start in the sexual revolution? Did it start with the welfare system? Did it start with slavery? When did it start? When did it start? There's um, a letter that, you know, circulates, and, and it's amazing because I'm a history uh, person, and this particular letter, no one ever talked about it in any of my history classes, be it in high school, be it in college. I never heard of this letter, and so some of you probably have heard of this letter, and it's the Willie Lynch letter. And, I mean, when I laid eyes on that document, I was so floored. And I, I was like, oh, my God, did you guys know about this letter? Oh, my God, and they were looking at me like, well, why didn't you know about it? You know, this letter has been out for years. Why didn't you know about it? And I'm like, I never heard of such stuff. I never heard of anything like this, Okay. So now you're sitting here and you're going like, well, okay, um, okay, okay. Well, you can see if this is true that the effect that this has had on us um, as a people. But you can't imprison one person or one body of people and not be a prisoner yourself because it's a cause and effect. So whatever has been done to one set of people has been done also to the people who get it. So we're living in this system of um, welfare. Um, we're living in this system of uh, trying to make up the system of entitlement um, because we're trying to get paid for what was done, the injustices that were done to us, um, the acknowledgement of what was done to us, and so many men 
are suffering from employment, you know, higher unemployment in women are, um, that's an epidemic. That's an epidemic that didn't just start after 9-11. It's been historically known that there were fewer men in the workplace than there were women. Women basically are the backbone of corporate America and the backbone of the church. Okay? So we have a problem. We have a problem. So if you look at the rule, the 80-20 rule, is that basically out of 100%, 100 people, you will have 20% of the people in that group who will be the ones who will be responsible for doing most of the labor, most of the change. The other 80% will be the ones that will be led by the other 20% into change and into coming up to the 20%. So which side are we on? Which side are we on? And I, I think that it goes back and forth to me because there's some of us who may be sometimes operating in the 20% and other times we're operating in the 80%, depending on the, the area that there is a need. So then um, what do we do? What, what do we do women? What do we do men? This is, this is a call from God's heart to my heart. Saying that he's ready to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. And picking them up and putting them in jail isn't going to do it. Hasn't done it. Um, you know, garnishing their wages hasn't done it. They've just been living for the day that they turn 18. That hasn't done it. So what's going to make this happen? The word of God is true. If my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and say, seek my faith, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal the land. That isn't just talking about natural land. It's talking about the land of the heart, land Spirit, the land of the soul, the land of the mind. We've got to turn back to our heart. We've got to put him in the center. So if you can imagine um, when we talk about getting back to God, how do we get back to God? There's four levels um, to talk about. The old thing to say, every round goes higher and higher. Every round goes higher and higher. So if you think in terms of a circle, and that circle is it's huge. So in your mind, mentally draw that circle. And then within that circle, draw another circle. And then within that circle, draw another circle. And then within that circle, draw another circle. Bam, you got a bullseye. You're in the center of that circle. That is getting into the center of God's will. It's not being on the edge. It's not being on the peripheries. It's not almost being there. That is hitting the dead center uh, and those of you who are, you know, um, what is a geometry major, you know, if you took uh, a plane tool and you basically were architecture majors, whatever, you took that and you found the center of that circle, that's where you have to be. That's where you have to be, be in the center of God's will, to be in his absolute perfect will when he says, turn, even my people which are called by his name, my name, will turn from their way. Their ways, their ways are what not his ways, his, their thoughts are not his thoughts, 
his thoughts are higher, his ways are higher. So in order for us to undo or make a dent in this, as we are believers in 2010, don't know when it's going to fully manifest, but the word of God is true. It shall come to pass. It may not come to pass when you and I are alive, but it shall come to pass that God will turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. But in the meantime, we have been called to sow seed in the spirit realm so that somebody else will come along and water, and then God will give the increase. So we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility outside of our school and no more. So how do we get into the center of God's will? We get there through forgiveness because that's how God has done what needs to be done in our lives. That's how he has accomplished salvation for us. That's how he has done everything for us. That is how everything that we stand in need of is being accomplished. That is how everything that we are speaking after is being accomplished. It is through the spirit, through the perfect will of God. It is through the perfect and complete and total will of God that these things are being accomplished. So we have to operate in the spirit. We have to move in the spirit. The Bible says that in him we live, move, and have our being in him. We have to be dead centered. And, and even for, I, I'm, I'm mechanically inclined, so um, those of you who don't know this, you know, I, I will work on a car in a minute. I like working on cars. But the key to having your car being synchronized so that when you put the key in the switch and you turn the ignition is that the timing change, the timing belt has to be set to what's called top dead center. Top dead center, it, it controls the firing order of the car, what makes the car turn over. So when you hear a car that's backfiring and misfiring, it's because the timing is off. So if you think of in terms of is the timing off in the body of Christ where we're misfiring, where we are sputtering along, yes, it is. Our timing is off. Our rhythm is off. We've got to get our rhythm back. We've got to get our synchronicity back. We've got to line up and hit top dead center so that when the spirit of the Lord moves in the earth, that he will fill the place that comes through being in the center of God's will, and you get there by making sure that you have turned from your wicked ways. That means that you got to let go of unforgiveness. you got to let go of bitterness. you got to let go of it. Trail. I talked about on the conference call how the uh, the people trap monkeys, and, and I think you know it's it's amazing to me how monkeys can even be trapped because they're normally high up in the tree. You know they're always swinging either by their arms or by their tail. How do you trap monkeys and and captivate them and put them on display or sell them in, in pet shops? They have the capacity to to move, and then don't even get into the the monkeys that just swing by the arms. You got flying monkeys. You know, <laughs> they just, you know, just take off and just fly from one tree to the next. How do you capture a monkey? So I went out and I was digging 
And I found that in order to trap a monkey in the jungle, basically they take barrels and they fill them full of banana stalks. And these banana stalks are set in different places throughout the jungle. And when they take the lid and they put on top of the barrel with the banana sauce in it, there's a little bitty hole in the center of that barrel lid that has been cut that is only big enough for the monkey to get his hand in and out of. So when the monkeys see that the trappers have gone away and they've walked away from it, they hone in on this barrel of bananas. And they jump down, and they stick their hand in because they want bananas. Now, mind you, they can get bananas anytime they want to just by picking them from the tree. But here is a convenient stalk of bananas that's already been picked for them. So they're down there. Okay, well, I'm going to go down here, and I'm going to get these bananas. As soon as they walk in, I'm going to go down here and get these bananas. When they turn their back, I'm going to go down here and get these bananas. Okay, well, the trap is already knowing that if you put your hand in there, I got you. I got you because it understands the mindset of the monkey. The monkey wants that banana at all costs. So when the monkey sticks his hand into the barrel and he feels that banana, he latches hold to that banana. And in the face of that trapper walking back towards that barrel, that monkey is holding on to that banana for dear life. And inside of me, when God showed me that, it was like, let go of the banana monkey, let go of the banana, because you're about to get trapped. You're about to get put in captivity. You're about to get sold. You're about to get separated from your family and your friends. Let it go. And God said, that's what I'm talking about. The things that we hold on to, the things that our fathers have left us holding, those of us who didn't have good fathers, those of us who didn't have good earthly fathers or good spiritual fathers, those things we are holding on to with our hand in that barrel, grabbing hold to that banana, I refuse to let go. I remember when I was like that monkey. I refuse to let go of unforgiveness because it was what I was entitled to. I didn't have, if I forgave them, that meant that they had an opportunity to go to heaven. And it was like, if I forgive them and they get to heaven, I just don't know what I'm going to do. You know, because I want to make heaven my home. But if I just don't forgive them, maybe they won't make it. Maybe God, you know, uh, won't have the opportunity. I mean, in my heart, my mind had rationalized, you know, how can I forgive them because of all that they had done to me? And I will never forget that day that God told me that you have been called to be a minister of life and not death. And if you continue to hold on to the dead thing, you're going to be held captive and held prisoner by the enemy. And this is what happens to the monkey who won't let go of those bananas. He is brought into captivity, and he lives and dies in captivity for the rest of his life. There's a story that I ran across recently. Um, it's, it's maybe a year or two old or whatever of this monkey who used to be somebody's pet, and nobody knows who's pet, and I believe he's down in Florida somewhere. He has been, he escaped from his owner, and he has been seen in the community, and different people have taken all kinds of pictures of this monkey jumping from tree to tree, jumping, and, and he'll go and he'll grab a piece of fruit off of somebody else's tree, and then he just disappears. And everybody, they, they even created a page for him on Facebook 
It's like, you know, they're saying they're rooting for the monkey to stay free. So we in the body of Christ ought to be rooting for each other to stay free, to let go, to tell them, let go, let go. You know, we know it hurts. We, we know that it hurts. We know that somebody hurts you. We know this. But God has a plan and a purpose for your pain. Out of your pain will come your purpose, will come your passion, will come the fire that God is going to use to set a nation on fire spiritually, to deliver a people. There are people that God has deliberately been holding, waiting for you to go through, waiting for you to let go of that banana because nobody else can give them the word the way that you can give them the word. Nobody else can tell your testimony the way you can tell your testimony. God is true to his word. All things work together for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Let go of what you're holding on to. That banana is about to cost you your blessing, your breakthrough, your miracle, your purpose, your destiny. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. And right now, I, I want to thank all of you for being in the chat room. Uh, for those of you on the call line, those of you who are on the way, God bless you. Thank you for being a part of this broadcast. My soul is so full of what God has been sharing with me about the topic of what did your father leave holding in your hand. Some little girl, some little boy, your father molested you, your father left you, your father abandoned you, your father neglected you. And, and, I, and I also want to share just a, a piece of this story that I read this morning as well of a young man, um, and he's not, you know, like super young or whatever. He's probably 40 or 50 or was. Uh, he committed uh, two murders in the state of Utah, and maybe, maybe some of you saw the headlines as well. And um, he opted to be uh, punished for his crime by firing squad. And so they fired on this man with a target. Like we were talking about a circle, so a target is a circle, right? And they put a circle, a dark circle, in the midst of that circle, which was the center of that circle, and they placed that target over that man's heart and place, made sure that the black dot was right over the man's heart. So the center of that man was his heart. The center of that man's life was his heart. The Bible says that where your um, treasures are, you know, that's where your heart is. And this man had made an effort, he said, to say he was to the families that he had harmed. And, but they go on to talk about a little bit about this man's story. They opened up his case file, and they found that he had been a part of the court system since he was two years old. He had been picked up, found wandering the streets at night in his diaper, without his mother, without his father. This two-year-old boy, baby, grows up to become a murderer rose up to become a murderer, and we executed him for his crime by a firing squad of five other officers. It was either early this morning or, or late last night. And they said he didn't cry out. He didn't scream out. 
he, he you know, uh, made hand gestures and stuff like that, as if he was trying to lift something up off of him. He was chained down. His face was covered. His forehead was strapped down. And they fired on him sitting in a metal chair. Five officers. And I believe they said it was 16 rounds that entered into his body. With that target being top dead center over his heart. How is it that this little boy who had no father, obviously he had his mother, grew up to become a murderer? His life basically over talked about dreams and visions that he had that he would never get to be a part of because as he's been incarcerated all this time um, for since the murders, I think the murders happened like in the 80s or whatever, uh, basically is that he, he had some remorse. He had some remorse. And he said if he had a chance, he would build um, a, a place for children to come and be mentored on a ranch and to teach them how to be a that was his vision that died with him unless somebody picks it up and runs with it. But as he was being fired on, nobody was present. His lawyers weren't present. His family wasn't present. The victim's family were not present. But his family, uh, remnant that he had, they said, were standing outside of the prison keeping vigil. And they were outside not making any noises. And they heard the gun fire, the barrage of bullets going off and hearing him die in silence. What a picture to be painted. He didn't say a word. Takes me back to Christ. says that Jesus never said a word to get himself out of paying the price for us. He paid the price, the ultimate price for us. So that we could be free from the curse of the law of sin and death. So that we could go out and be fruitful and multiply. So that we could go out and increase. So that we could go out and minister gospel to those who need to hear it. And we are so caught up in me, me, me. My problem what's going on with me, what's going on with my family. Um, that we aren't evangelizing like we should. We aren't witnessing like we should. We aren't uh, testifying, a lot of us, you know, testimony services just trip out a service. You don't testify. Um, definitely people don't know what you've been through uh, because, you know, you look good now, you smell good, you drive good, you live good, uh, you work good, all of that, and people would never know where you came from unless you tell them. And now we've gotten ashamed of what we come from and, and what we've been through, and we don't want to tell them. We don't want to tell them. But God says that if my people called by my name, would humble themselves and seek my and turn from their wicked ways. He would fear from heaven and heal the land. Women, men, tune into this broadcast. If you don't know who your birth father is, you don't know who your birth mother is, I simply want to say to you, I invite you to know God as your father. I invite you to let him father And since he is El Shaddai, he is the many-rested one, 
meaning that he is also able and capable of being your mother. So Psalms 27, David says, when my mother and my father, the Lord will take me up. He will be your father and he will be your mother. It took me a long time to get to that point. It was good to know him as my father because he's God. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. But the thought of him being my mother meant that I would have to see him in a weakened state, that he would have to somehow in my mind become less God and more man. But he is El Shaddai, the all-white God, able. He says that I am that I am. When they ask you who I am, I am that I am. When they ask you who sent you, tell them I am sent you. What do you need him to be? What do you need him to be? You need him to be whatever it is, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your uncle, your husband, your, your, your significant other, your child, your people. I, I was, and, and it's like there's so much going on inside of me that as I've been preparing for this, there are, there are people out here who on Father's Day are going to, I, I know of someone uh, just recently whose son was killed. His first one son killed. Look just like him. Barely been two months ago, and Father's Day is coming, and he doesn't have his first son. Somebody is going to hear this broadcast who has recently lost somebody, about to lose somebody, will lose somebody, go through a divorce, go through a loss of some kind, their parents. Whatever it is, I want you to know that God loves you. God is concerned about you. God is big enough to let you be angry with him as long as you remember he is still God. Don't get it twisted. His grace is sufficient to you. He knows you're hurting. He knows you're in pain. And many of us won't admit, God, I am so mad at you. I'm so angry with you. I don't want nothing to do with you. And we don't say it. We go to church and we raise our hands and we lift our hands and we praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But inside, it's like, I can't wait to get out of here. I can't stand this because you have been acquainted with so much sorrow and so much pain that you can't even fathom how God could let something so horrible and horrific happen. I've been there. done that. I know what it feels like. But what he said to me when he confronted me with my hatred of him, he said, you've hated me for all the things that happened to you. You've hated me for that. For the people who have neglected you, who have rejected you and abandoned you, the people who have molested you, raped you, um, violated you, you hated me for that because if I were God, why didn't I stop? Why didn't I keep them from doing those things to you? That's why you hated me. And I said, no, God. How could I hate you when I'm in church and I'm raising my hands and I'm praising you and I'm dancing and I'm shouting and I'm rejoicing and telling me how much? He says, I require truth of you. And the truth of the matter is that you hated me. But I loved you 
even when he hated me, he took me to the war. He said, while you were yet sinners and enemies, I sent my son for you. While you were hating me, I still sent my only begotten son. That's how much I loved you. When you can be loved in the midst of being hated on and being denied and being denounced. That's how big God is. And he said, even though the things that happened to you were not my best for you, he said, the reason why you are here today to tell your story is because I was there. I was on my presence when you were being raped, when you were being molested, when you were being beaten, when you were being neglected, when you were being abandoned. I was still there, and I was like, why would you be there? He says, because I was holding your mind. Oh, God, I was your mind speculator. I was keeping your mind because the enemy was after your mind. And because I was there, you are here to tell your story today. And I began to cry, and I began to weep. And he began to tell me I was sitting the same looking on at you and holding you up with my word, with my love, when my son died on the cross. And I felt his pain. I felt his sorrow. I felt his heartbreak. Because he was hurting me. I was being hurt. But he knew that he was going to take all that ugly stuff and he was going to work it out for my concern. He was going to give me purpose out of my pain. He was going to give me mission out of my misery. So here I am today, crying out, crying out. If you don't know him as your father, accept him as your father. Because whatever your father left you holding in your hand, it's not worth missing out on the call of God on your life. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go and watch God work the pain into your purpose. Watch God work it out for you. He will do it. And then he added to me, he says, I am not a dictator. A dictator is somebody who stops people from doing this and doing that. If I'm not a dictator, I'm God. If I ever intervene where I've already set my law in place, then I trespass my own law, my own principles. Because the word of God says that whatsoever man, be not deceived, first and foremost, that whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He shall repay. And that your reward, the good and the evil that have been done in the body, shall be rewarded to you on that day of judgment. Second Corinthians says that on the day after death will come judgment. And then you will manifest before the judgment seat of God. And in his hand will be the reward for both the good and the evil that was done in the body. God is the righteous judge. He knows how to measure out justice and judgment. When we try to be judge and jury and prosecutor, we hurt ourselves. We hurt ourselves. And that is not what God wants for you. He wants you to be free in him. Because from the sun of free, it's free in and your spirit 
requires that you live, move, and have your being in him. Not in the natural man. Remember, all things begin in the spirit. You have to get top dead center in the center of his will. In the center of his will. In the center of his will. Just like they put that bullseye over that man's heart. Over the center of his heart. Before they let out a barrage of bullets on him. By five police officers who were marking him. Who did not miss his body. And they need in order to cause him to die as quickly as possible, they had to do what hit his heart. The enemy has hit some of our hearts with the logic of bullets in hopes that we would die. <laughs> but God, rich in his mercy, rich in his power, has kept you here today. You and I are meeting on this platform, imagine God keeping us alive so that we could come together today and have this conversation and meet. So I have a song that I want to play. If anybody wants to call into the broadcast and um, share any comments, uh, call in to 646-929-1800. If you have any questions, please pose them for me in the chat room if you don't want to call in. But this song that I want to play right now, Where Are the Clouds? I finally got into the hotel room. It must have been midday. Started flipping through the channels just to kind of drift away. Every other network showed the challenge and and I see people laughing as the children sat confused. And I saw a mother pleading with her son to turn away from the lifestyle he had chosen, full of violence and hate. Now the conversation heated, my mind began. Where are the fathers, the responsible ones? Where are the fathers? Have they helped to raise their sons? Look at the daughters. Do you see the violation? Do you need more demonstration? Are you really? Tempted to explain 
Where are the sounds? The responsible world. Where are the fathers? Have they helped you raise their son? Look at the daughter. Do you see the violation? Do you need more demonstration? Are you really? that he has become a father, 
that his own daughter, he has a daughter now, he says that, you know, my daughter is free of violation now. And when you think about that, that's huge. Because for a man to be in the household and saying, you know, I know that you are my father. I know now that I can depend on you. I know now that I don't have to be concerned about what's going to happen in my life because you're my father and I'm so proud to be your son. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being my father. I want to thank you, God. And so this young man is, is saying this song. And he's saying, you know, I don't have that natural relationship, but I do have that heavenly relationship. And I know that you can be trusted, and I know that you are capable and you are able to do everything that I need you to do. So in this whole situation, in this scenario, we are talking about what is it that your father left you holding? What is it that's in your hands that you're holding? that you won't let go of? What is it that's in your hand that you can't finally get out of? What is it? What is it that you can't get out of? The song is talking about that. What is it that you're holding on to, that you're clinging on to? God has a better plan. God has purpose on his mind. He says in Jeremiah 29, he says, I know the thoughts that I think about you, and they're not thoughts to harm you, but they're thoughts to give you an expected end, to give you success. He wants you to be successful, not as the world sees success, but as he sees success. Our brains and the world brains uh, weigh on an average 3 to 3.5 pounds each. And so he doesn't have that kind of a limitation. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And he's simply saying to us is that I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I am Proving myself to you every day that I'm faithful when you wake up in the sunlight. That's a testament to how faithful I am. Because the day that you wake up and the sun refuses to shine, that means that I'm no longer faithful. That I have become like man and my word isn't worth anything. But Hebrews 1 says that he is upholding all things, A-L-L, all things, by the word of his power. And it is because the sun, when it was originally flung into space in the beginning, in the creation, that that word that spoke that sun into existence is still being what held up by the word of his power. He is upholding the sun since the beginning of creation. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So because he has proven himself to be faithful, the question of, what is it that your father has left you holding in your hand that is hindering you from walking into the purpose that God has for you? God has a purpose and a plan for you, and that means that you're going to have to let go of all of the betrayal. And uh, there's a book by P. Bunny Wilson called Betrayal Baby, um, and in that she says that betrayal gives birth to a baby. And that baby's name is bitterness. And so as I have studied this out some more, I've come to find out that once betrayal is in place and it gives birth to bitterness, then bitterness picks up a companion and bitterness friends in misery, in judgment. So you go from betrayal, bitterness, and judgment. So 
you encounter people who are judgmental, um, not just of some things, but of all things, because they've been betrayed and they've become bitter behind the trail. So bitterness comes because we haven't forgiven being betrayed. And so if we haven't forgiven for being betrayed, that means that our love walk, as Kendra said, we are suffering in our love walk because God is what love. And John, first John said that perfect love casts out all fear. So why is it that we are bitter? It's because we are afraid after having been betrayed. The aftermath of betrayal is that I'm bitter about it. I'm upset about it. I'm, 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 I'm feeling as if this person will never pay for what they did to me, and you can't let go. So you now appoint yourself to be judge and jury, and, and God says, you know, I am the righteous judge. I am the righteous judge. So now you have moved into a whole other level of idolatry because you self-appoint yourself to be a judge, and God says, I'm the judge. I'm the judge. So it's like, you know, here comes the judge, but you are sitting on the bench. You are sitting on the bench, and he cannot measure out judgment as long as you won't let go of your entitlement, your need for revenge, your need to have the big payback, to see that person suffer, to see that person hurt and wounded. And I remember when I went to uh, see the movie Woman Now I Lose, and I wept. I went to go see that movie by myself on purpose. Because it was like I had no idea what my response was going to be because I had just seen the trailer. But when she took that gun out, that woman who used to be the little girl that that man had raped and threatened and basically had her ostracized by her mother because her mother chose him over her, she didn't believe. So this girl is, is bringing this bloody dress that she wore when this man raped her as a little girl to the altar and she's laying it down on the altar, I'm ready to let go now. Thank you. I'm ready to let go now. But she's also carrying in her purse what a pistol. Now why would you carry a pistol in your purse to the altar along with the dress that you're ready to let go of? Because her letting go was a conditional letting go. I'm gonna let go as long as I look up and don't see my rapist at the altar. Wow. When that movie came out and I looked at that and I said, you know what, I could have been standing at the altar with somebody because when you come to the altar, you aren't really looking at who's there. I mean, hundreds of people or, you know, whatever people come down and you're at the altar and you don't realize who's there. You know, because what if the person who, who has done harm is at the altar while you're at the altar asking for forgiveness? But you've been waiting for them to ask you for forgiveness or to see them suffer or to see them in harm's way. And you turn around and you look, I'm down here to lay this thing down. And I look and you're down here to get forgiveness. Oh, you know, I deserve forgiveness, but you don't deserve forgiveness. Well, you know, that's because we're still holding on to what? The root. The root of bitterness. And the root of bitterness has a companion called judgment. So you've been betrayed, bitter about it, and now you want to judge. So woman now epitomizes that scripture is that she was betrayed by her, her, her mother's boyfriend, uh, now her husband. Uh, she's been betrayed by the men in her life. She's been betrayed by the women in her life. And here she is at the office, finally ready to let it go and move on. 
but it with conditions that I don't look at and find that my race is at the altitude. And at that particular moment, God says to me, says, I died for, I sent my son to die for the victim and the victimizer. When I was having my son hang on the cross between two feet, those two feet had done the victimizing, but perhaps the victims were standing in the audience looking up at the feet being punished. Those two said, we know what we've done. And we know that this man that's in between us, he hasn't done anything wrong. So if thou be the son of God, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. You know, one of them says, and he says, this day shall you be a paradise. But he died for the criminal and the one that the crime was committed against. How hard to digest that. And I sat in the morning, and I cried, and I got up, and I went outside, and it was over, and, and I just, I felt so disoriented when I came out of the morning. I went, and I sat in my car, and I couldn't move, and I sat in my car, and I cried. And all of a sudden, instead of the tears that I was crying when me relief, I began to pray, like, what if I've been at the office? Have I put something wrong? What if I've been at the office? And I began to think, you know, am, am I that girl that I love you and I serve you as long as my sins are forgiven? But if you forgive the people who harm you, God, I can't serve you anymore. I asked myself that question. I went through that process. And when he said to me, he said, I died both so that your sins would be, so the transgression is blotted out. Oh, my God. How hard it must have been for you to watch your son die between two feet, knowing he had done no wrong. The two on the left and the right of him, they deserved their penalty. They admitted they were guilty. Jesus, his first begotten son, his only begotten son, was not guilty. Yet he said this. Because his son didn't say, Father, release me from my purpose. Your purpose may be tied into your heart in such a way that God will have you, maybe not minister to the people who have harmed you, but minister to people who have harmed other people as you've been harmed. Remember, God's ways are not our ways. Thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher than us. So what is it that God wants to do with your pain if you'll let go? But if you don't let go, you'll never know what he wants to do with your pain. You will, you will never, never know. So then you find out that here we are, again, facing the question of what is it that your father you hold him in your hands. Was he a good father? An awesome father? Derelict father? Was he an abusive father? Was he physically abusive? Was he sexually abusive? Was he emotionally abusive? Was he financially abusive? Did he abuse you? Did he abuse your mother? What? Did he leave you cold? 
because it's hindering your relationship with your Heavenly Father. And in order for Him to get the full glory out of what He wants to do with His people, we got to turn from our wicked ways. We got to turn from our wicked ways. We got to turn, we got to start, and He'll heal the land. We got to make a change. We got to make a change. There's so much in my heart that God has been putting in my heart and I can just go on and on and on. But if you go back to the beginning, and, and so many fathers are silent in the home. They are physically present, but they are emotionally silent. They are financially present, but they are emotionally silent. They are spiritually silent. Why is that? You can trace it all the way back to our father, Adam, in the Garden of Eden. Eden. Silencing of Adam happens, and God helps me to understand. It's not because of you know we fight over well. He ate an apple. No, he ate a fig. No, he ate a pomegranate. No, he ate this. He ate that. Forget what fruit he ate physically. The fruit he ate spiritually was what the thought, the thought that he would be like God, that he would become like God, become all known. Like God and all powerful like God and have immortality if he ate and then go on to eat the tree of life. He ate the tree of good and evil, but then he had a eating the tree of life, then man would have forever been in that state and the plan of salvation would not have been implemented to redeem man back to God through his son Jesus Christ. But because the men have been silent since the Garden of Eden. He knew better. Says the evil. He knew better. So now we say to our men, you don't trust me. <laughs> you don't talk to me. What are you thinking about? He's like, nothing. <laughs> Revelation, hello. He is just being like his father before him, Adam. Adam was like, the last time I let you in to my heart to tell you what was in my heart to let you see inside my heart you tripped me up and that is instinctively inside of a man not to share his thoughts not all men but it is a trigger that is inside of man and the answer to that trigger is letting go and surrendering that to God so God can renew transform you renew your mind so that the mind of Christ will become your mind. So we have to go through a process of being transformed, of being remade, and coming into a renewed vision because his, his vision was off. You know, He couldn't see. He didn't have that revelation in the cool of the day because it says that God walked with Adam during the cool of the day, giving him revelation, talking to him. Uh, here we have the man who named all of the animals and everything that was here suddenly with a broken fellowship, with a broken communication lie between he and the creator. So now what? What are you going to have to do? The process of becoming a new man in Christ Jesus and being renewed and having your vision restored. Now our old things passed away. 
hold all things happy for me. So basically, you are a clean vessel. A clean vessel, but you still have damage. You still need repair. You still need to be put on powder's wheel. You're clean, but you need to be put on powder's wheel. So you've been overused um, by life and by the things that have happened to you. So you have to go from being a clean vessel and you have to empty yourself out. And this is where it hurts because you have to be willing to give up the things that you feel you're entitled to have reparations for by people who have harmed you. So we must be willing to give up what we consider our anointing even if necessary. The more we try to hide behind those things, the longer it's going to take for us to be transformed. First Corinthians 11 says that, but let a man do what? Damage himself. So we have to say, Father, teach us not to fake spiritual home when we're really empty. Help us not to hide from you the way that Adam and Eve were hiding. God came looking for them. Because Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. So we have to empty out all of the garbage from ourselves. Because just because we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, the vessel has been cleaned, but it is still tainted on the inside because it's been carrying garbage for so long. So you've got to empty all of that garbage out and it hurts. you got to, you know, turn it upside down and get it all out. And, and that scripture says that we're being shaken so that everything that needs to come out of us will come out of us so that the things that can remain will what remain. That's the empty. Then, in, in the analogy of a potter taking that and putting it on the wheel, he goes through now, he scrapes and he brushes the inside and the outside of that pot. And after he gets rid of all that residue and all that junk that was normally inside the pot, where the pot has been normally supported, that some of us allow people to gossip to us, so, you know, we, we become uh, trash cans on the inside. We allow people to do all kinds of vile things to us um, as adults. Um, what, you, what happens to you as a child is different, but what you allow people to do is so those things that come in, all these things have to be scrubbed out and washed out and the residue has to be taken out of you. So the inside clean is what produces that humility. And one of our guests said, you know, they have to go through the process of learning how he humbles. So the outside of us is filled with the, the cracks and the pits of life that has bumped up against us, that have tried us, that have pressed on us. So we need the inside of us to be cleaned up so that we can become humble under the mighty hand of God. So Proverbs talks about before destruction, the heart of a man is hardened and before honor is humility. So before you are destroyed, warning comes before what destruction because of your hardness, destruction is your end. But if you will humble yourself for God in honor, so, and before honor is humility, 
cannot have honor without being humble. So the inside feeling of you exposes the pride in your life so that you can pull that out. And you can understand and accept what God wants to do. Takes away the shallowness out of your life. It teaches you how to move, live, and have your being in Him. It teaches you how to let Him clean you up. It teaches you how to be abased, how to abound, how to be content, and how to walk before Him. It teaches you how to walk in and out before Him. So we have to go through the process. And then we have to have the lips reset. So if you can envision a vessel uh, that you drink out of, perhaps maybe a cup. And that cup is chipped, and you know, but it's your favorite cup, and you still like that cup, and so you just kind of maneuver around that chip. Well, God says, you know, I, I'm gonna take that cup and I'm gonna put it back on the wheel, and I'm going to reset that lip. And resetting that lip means filing down that area of the lip that's broken, so that it can be smoothed out. Okay. So when we have this this thing about having the lip reset, it's basically God changing the direction of our tongue having our tongue corrected, having our feet corrected. So Ecclesiastes talks about um, time, there's a time to keep silent and a time to speak. Proverbs talks about death and life being in the power of the tongue. And then it says that in Ecclesiastes 20, it says one man keeps silent because he has nothing to say. Another keeps silent because it is time for it. And then the fourth and the final thing that happens to this vessel that is going through the process is that you're put into the fire. Ouch. Don't put me in the fire. You have to go into the fire in order to be restored. Otherwise, all the scraping and the filing and, and the resetting is going to be very rough feeling and, and, and rough to the touch, you know. Um, so you, you're screaming, I don't want to go in the fire. I, I don't want to go in the fire. You know, uh, please don't put me in the fire. You know, you Taking me, emptying me out, you filed me, you scraped me out, you reset my lips. Okay, that's enough. That's enough, God. That's enough. I'm, I'm ready to go back to being used. I'm ready to go back to being that cup that somebody can drink out of. But now that you've been, the lips have been refiled on that, the, the, the surface is rough. The surface is rough. So you still have that roughness about because you still have not yet been put in the fire to be perfected so that you can be put into the masterpiece again. So he says, now, if you want to be used by me, you're going to have to surrender to the fire. So when the fire is around us, and it's a fire that's controlled by God, it doesn't just burn us. Just like the burning bush, the bush, was on fire, but it wasn't stone. So God isn't trying to kill us. He's trying to make us. He's trying to make us. And he's trying to mold us after his will so that we will be fit for the master. So here we are once again with the question, what is it that your father has left you holding in your hand that you won't let go of so that you can um, fit for the master to become that clean vessel who gets elevated to become a vessel of honor. 
because you submitted to the process of salvation. So it's one thing to be a clean vessel. It's one thing to accept the gift of salvation and say, I've got my secret punch and I'm on my way to heaven. It's another thing to submit to the process of salvation. And what I just described to you is the process of salvation. It's the process of salvation. So here we are once again. And it is exactly as God had said it would be. Is that I love my people. I love my people so much that while they were yet sinners, so much that while they hated me, I gave my life so that I could claim them and be and be and embrace them and re-fire them and reset them and re-fire and reset them and re-fire and reset them again. So, once again, here's another song break. And the song break basically is that it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can start all over again. the men who feel like you're at your wit's end, don't know how you got in this mess, you're standing there looking saying, where do I begin, maybe it's too late, too long, too much, too far, I've got good news, something I think you need to understand. Oh, 
All right, all right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right, all right. We are back online. <laughs> Woo! Thank you so much for being a part of this broadcast today, Trisha Adams Live, as we have gotten into the second part of the question of what is it that your father has left you holding in your hand. What is it that your father has left you holding in your hand? Your heavenly father, your heavenly father wants you to let go. Wants you to let go. He wants you to let go. He wants you to let go. He wants you to let go. Because the enemy has played captivity. Captured you, captured your destiny, captured, captured your purpose, and captured your vision for so long. God has a plan. God has a plan and a purpose for your pain. Let go. I want to uh, read something else to you that I found, which I thought was really fascinating. Someone who was totally into Luke uh, Skywalker and Star Wars, as I was not. Shared some thoughts, and I thought, you know, um, I'm going to kind of skim through some of it um, because they basically were presenting um, some things that were from a philosophical standpoint. And he said that the dynamic between 
Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, and Luke Skywalker's mother um, had a, a really rough um, way to go, basically, um, because the reason that it says that the relationship with the mother is the one that the child must leave the maternal haven and enter the domain of law and language. As a result of the appearance of a third figure, the father in the child's life, the, the child gives up its desire for the mother, and then the boy represses his feelings for the mother because he fears the father will punish him. So in the, the dynamic of it is, is that I have personally um, experienced something to this effect, is that when women, you have been raising uh, your child or your children by yourself, and then once uh, the child reaches um, that age of uh, 18, 19, 20, 21, suddenly the absent parent shows up, um, you know, either because they, are, they, they feel that, you know, they can no longer be uh, deemed for child support or, you know, uh, they're off the hook for child support now, so now that they can surface. And so then um, the father basically wants to get some time with the child. And so in order to do that, they have to try to find a way to pull the child away from the mother and then begin to paint the mother in a bad light to say, well, the reason why I wasn't more part of your life is because your mother wouldn't be this, your mother wouldn't be this, that, or whatever. But now that you are a grown individual, you can choose for yourself. So now, you know, I want you to choose between me or your mother because the only reason why I wasn't there is because your mom this and your mom that or vice versa, your dad this, your dad that, because we've got women on the outside of relationships with their children as well. So, you know, this dynamic is now the child is stuck in the middle of, you know, I've been with my mother most of my life, and now this man that I've been wanting to see is suddenly appearing, and I, I want to be around this man, and I want to know more about this man, but now if I have to sit here and say, okay, we are going to do this, then um, I'm going to have to give up that closeness that I have with my mother in order to go and find more about my father. And so some children um, do that, and some children are reluctant to do that. But at the same time, this, this mother, this absent mother shows up and suddenly, you know, uh, says, you know, the reason why I wasn't here is because your father wouldn't do your father wouldn't do this, your father wouldn't do that. And so now I'm here. Um, won't you, you know, give me some time into your life? Well, this is traumatic. You know, you've gone all your life without this person. All of a sudden, they're showing up and they're making demands and they want the child to choose. So you've got to choose. You know, I've been loved and cared for by this person, or maybe not. Maybe the person that they were with was horrible to them, and they welcome the opportunity to go with the parent that suddenly shows up. Either way it goes, you've got a dynamic that's being presented uh, to children. And so um, if you've got two parents and both of them are credible parents and they are wholesome parents and the child is healthy and has been brought up, why is a child having to choose between the two of them? You know, um, the person hasn't been there. Well, sooner or later, um, the person who hasn't been there ultimately is they truly haven't been there because the mother or the father kept them away. That will reveal itself. But if that person truly hasn't been there, it hasn't been committed in that child's life, that would be revealed itself as well. 
And so at some point you have to trust your children that you brought them up and you say, okay, well, you know what, I'm not going to stand in the way of you getting to know your mother or your father. If you want to get to know them, um, that's fine. I love you. I will always love you. Um, and, you know, I'm here for you. If you choose to go and live with them, whatever, I'm going to always, it's always going to be home. So you have to you know, make a decision or you have to say, okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll allow you to come to my house and visit the child or whatever. So, you know, something, there's a hope inside of the child from missing that other parent, be it a man or a woman. And that child is naturally going to want to try to fill that void. And so now you've got men and women who are being held captive by the things that have been left in their hands, holding all these bags and everything. So now you are not just only burdened down, because then the Bible says, now lay aside every weight and every that does so easily beset you. These things have become weight, and when they become weight, then they become sins because you won't let go of them because you're seeking revenge and you're seeking justice, and, and you're trying to hold on to your right to get revenge. And God is saying, I have so much more than revenge. I've got blessings bursting out in heaven that I'm ready to pour out to you, but I can't give them to you because, remember, I'm a giver. I'm, I'm the giver of life. I'm the creator. I cause things to be. So I can't cause things to be in your life if you're still holding on to what used to be. So you're holding on to the things that used to be. You're holding on to the past. So if you're holding on to the past, you can't get the blessings of the day. And he says that his, his, his benefits are renewed. Daily. His mercies are renewed daily. So he daily loaded us with benefits. But how can we grab hold to the benefits of the day if we're holding on to the angst and the pain of yesterday? Your hands are too full of the past. Your hands are too full of what you feel that you need to get paid back for to receive the new manner, the new bread, the new wine that he has for you. So let go of what's in your hand so that you can receive the benefits of the day, the giving of the day. What God has for you every day is new every day. Every day is new. So he doesn't take yesterday's benefits and try to apply them to your today. Nor will he take day before yesterday's benefits and apply them to your tomorrow. You have to let go of what's in your hand. Remember earlier we talked about how they trapped the monkeys in the jungle. It's because the monkeys want those bananas at all costs, and they only put a hole big enough for the monkey to put his hand in or out and not be able to get that banana. So that monkey has to have his mind trigger and say, oh, wait a minute, if I keep holding on to this, to this, to this banana, he's going to take me captive. He's going to hold me hostage. He's going to hold me against my will. He's going to cause me to be his little performer. He's going to put me on a string and make me dance for him. But when you let go and you say, look, you know, I want what God has for me more than I want revenge on you because God said he has a plan and a purpose for my pain. And since my mind is only 3.5 pounds, or three pounds, it can't possibly conceive 
what God really has for me. So in order for me to see my destiny and my purpose manifest, remember, you have to let go where in the spirit realm in order for what is waiting on you to manifest in the natural realm. All things begin in the spirit. In him we live, move, and have our being. What is he? He is a spirit. And they that do what worship him must do what worship him in spirit and in truth. So the truth of the matter is, is that destiny is called. Purpose is called. Ministry is called. But you're so weighed down. So weighed down. You have to let go. You have to let go. And I want to thank you all again for being a part of the show. I want to invite you that if you don't know God is your father, simply say, Father, come into my life. Save me. Save me from my wicked ways. Clean me up. Prepare me for your kingdom. Prepare me for your future reward, for your glory. God, I surrender my life to you. Be my savior, my master, my Lord. Lead me, behind me for righteousness. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And now, hey, guess what? Got another song for you, and it is Old Wound Can Heal.
Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you again so much for being a part of Patricia Adams Live today as we are coming up on the Father's Day celebration. Ladies, gentlemen, if you've got a father that is alive, that has been a blessing in your life, celebrate them. If you have a father that who has already passed on, celebrate them. If they have been in your life and they have been truly a father, they have truly been a father, then I want to send a shout out to all my brothers, all the men, and I want to say so much by this applause. I hope you hear my heart. I appreciate you for being the men that God loves and honors and respects and, above all else, hears your prayers. You guys are the bomb. You rock. Thank you so, so much. We have got exactly... Woo, I believe five minutes left in the broadcast. Yes, we've got five minutes left in the broadcast, and you have been on the air with Patricia Adams live for our pre-Father's Day show and answering the question of what is it that your father has left you holding in your hand. Whatever it is, it's not worth holding on to because God has a plan and a purpose for the pain in your life. Let it go. Let it go. You've been around this mountain long enough, long enough. And I want to, again, thank you all for joining in the chat room, for calling into the show. Thank you so much. And, you know, you guys just um, have been really great, and I appreciate it so much. And I hope that you will share this link with someone um, because for Father's Day, just to be a blessing, to um, those who have been fathers is the intent, but also to wake up some who have not stood up to the responsibility of fatherhood. And for those of us who have not had that father um, anointing in our lives, because a father validates and adds value to his daughter, and he teaches her how to be loved, and he teaches her how to carry herself, and he teaches her how to um, make demands for her presence, and some of us haven't had that, and we're having to learn that now later in life. So to the daughters, the sons, the mothers, the fathers, the sisters and brothers, the uncles, the aunts, the grandparents who are all coming in, pitching in to do their best to bring up a young man or a young woman in the best way that you know how, this final song is for you. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you it's been a pleasure. It has been a pleasure. And this last song is Thank You for Staying.
They have no place in the sky. We forget about the ones still hanging. Falling empty seats. Standing takes You
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.